news story about a 14-year-old girl by the name of Deshanza Simmons who lived for four months without a heart beating in her chest. So she had a severe heart defect and because of that, um, she needed a heart transplant, but there was no donor immediately available. And it was an emergency situation. And so the doctors removed her heart and replaced it with these two electronic pumps. And she said that during those long four months that she felt like a fake person. Like she felt like she didn't really exist because she didn't have a heart. And, and, and it was only when she finally got that transplant four months later that she felt human again. And it occurs to me that Deshanza isn't alone. That there are a lot of people that are sucking air on planet Earth whose hearts have been cut out. Not surgically, but by things that people have said to them by things that people have done to them, by, by things that maybe have occurred in their lives, things that they've been put through. And I wonder if you might be one of them. Maybe as you're sitting here today or maybe you're watching online and you feel like you know, you're just kind of getting by, you've learned how to get by. There's blood pumping through your veins, but you're really just kind of there. You don't feel like you're truly alive. And I want you to know that what God wants to do is he wants to give you your true heart back so that you can come fully alive. See, he wants to reconnect our hearts with him so that we remember how much we mean to him and the fact that he created us and he saved us with purpose and he wants to set our hearts on his kingdom, his eternal kingdom that's already breaking into this world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he speaks to our hearts through scripture and he tells us that our lives matter. And that if we will let him take our lives and lead our lives, that he will use us in ways that will bring his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so those of us whose sins are forgiven, those of us who are heirs of that kingdom, because of Jesus Christ and our faith in him, he calls us to rise and to become the kind of people who embrace the values of his kingdom. To be the kind of people that, like him, would, would model or would, would follow his modeling, first of all, and listen to his teachings, and by his example, be led into a remarkable kind of life that, that leaves a significant mark for good on everyone around us. To be people whose life story brings hope to other people. And listen, even though you may be seemingly a very ordinary person, and you may feel like a very ordinary person, one with many failures, by faith in Jesus Christ, you will be able to stand and deliver when you are needed most.
And I think it's exciting to to imagine the possibilities of of what we can become when we grasp that and when we begin to see that, that we really can live an impactful, even a heroic kind of life that God is calling us to. A hero, if if you remember last week, a hero being someone who is willing to lay aside their own self-interests for the greater good of others. Someone who is willing to lay aside their own self-interests for the greater good of others. I spoke just this past week to two different grandmothers who are helping raise their grandchildren. Those women are heroes. I, I, I just this morning saw Mark Rohrbach out there putting our church signs up and down 15501 in you know 18 degree weather. Mark is a hero. Yes, indeed. And, and I could go around and I could say there's so many different examples that we have around us of people doing heroic things, being people of, of remarkable lives. And, and no matter what may have happened to you in your life or what hasn't happened to you, you don't have to say to stay sidelined, you know, with a broken heart being a victim of the past. Nor do you have to be numb and just kind of being an observer passively of the present. Because with God, he wants to give you a new heart. A heart that's fully alive and a heart that will enable you to join him in becoming a shaper of the future. And so that is what this series is all about that we began uh, this month. And in this series, we've been looking at different ways that we might receive God's call to action, God's call to purpose, whether it's a purpose that he has for us just in that moment, or whether it's a long-term purpose that he has for our lives. And so far, we have already seen through looking at a couple of the stories that we find in Scripture that, that God's call to live that kind of heroic, remarkable life that makes a difference may come to us through crisis. May come like when everything's hitting the fan. You know, that's when God may call you to rise up and to live a heroic life. Or it may come to you through necessity. Like when when there's a need, when there's a void, and no one else is stepping up to meet that need and fill that void, God may be calling you to stand in the gap and meet that need. But today, I want to point out a third context in which we may receive God's call to living our purpose. And, And that is that God's call may come to you through conviction. Through conviction. And there's a scene in the life of David that we find in scripture in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. If you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, please go ahead and join me there in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And really this is the scene in David's life that he is most famous for. But first, let me give you just a little bit of backdrop to the scene. See, at the time, David was a young teenager at best. So he's the baby in a family of eight brothers. Just imagine having seven older brothers. 
I mean, I don't know. Some of you have brothers, older brothers. I don't have any brothers. I've got all sisters. And, but, but those of you who have an older brother, you know what that can be like. And if you had seven of them, you know, it, you might have had a rather difficult childhood. I mean, we all know how big brothers love to tease their little brothers, right? And if they're, if they're not giving them a wedgie or a noogie, you know, they're doing something that's equally humiliating to little brother. And, uh, and so David, uh, he got that from, from his brothers. And it wasn't just his brothers, it was his dad, even his dad didn't seem to really think that much of him. It was so bad, in fact, that when his dad received an official message from the prophet Samuel telling him to bring all of his sons with him to a secret meeting where one of them was going to be anointed the next king of Israel, David's dad, Jesse, didn't even bother to bring David along. I mean, he just left David home with the sheep and all of his brothers got their tickets punched to go to the big meeting. And uh, even when Samuel at that meeting asked Jesse, hey, are you sure you haven't forgotten one of your sons? Jesse kind of just offhandedly is like, oh, well, yeah, I, I do have one more, but he's, he's just a kid and we left him home with a sheep. You know, it's just like, you get the sense from reading the story, if you know anything about human nature, that, that David isn't getting a lot of affirmation at home. Let's just put it that way. And a little time goes by, and in 1 Samuel 17, neighboring Philistia goes to war with Israel, as they did so many times. And David's three older brothers have been conscripted, and they're, they've been sent to the battlefront. But again, David is left home because he's too young to be considered ready for military service. But worrying about his oldest sons, Jesse is really anxious for some news of the battle. Just imagine growing up in a world with neither CNN nor Fox News. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be interesting? Right? Got no news. Might be nice. And, and, but, to, but to get the news, he sends David, the youngest son, to go and, and, and go to the battlefront. And he sends some provisions with him, kind of sends a care package with David to take to his brothers on the battlefront and get some news and bring it back. And so uh, we pick up the story in verse 4. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. Imagine wearing that around. He also wore bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds, just the tip. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. I bet they were. And then verse 16 goes on to say that, that this went on 
every morning and every evening for 40 days. Goliath issuing his challenge and nothing but humiliation and inaction from the Israelite soldiers. And so this is the scene that David stumbles into as he arrives at the battle scene. And verse 26 says that David asks the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? See, David is incensed. He cannot believe what he is hearing and seeing. See, David believes, he's heard the stories and he believes those stories about God forming a covenant, a special covenant with his people in which God had promised them special protection and in which already God had brought them so many different miraculous victories over the course of time. And he believes that. And to him, Goliath and his arrogance is not only aimed at Israel, it's aimed at God. His defiance isn't just of the Israelite soldiers. His defiance is of the God who's behind those soldiers. And so to him, to David, he's incredulous that everyone is just sitting around and allowing this to go on. And no one is willing to stand up. Now, David is clearly a man of strong conviction, a young man. But still, nonetheless, a young man with very strong convictions about God, about who God is, about how great God is, about how holy God is, about how he is due honor and reverence and respect. And so he has some very strong convictions. Let me just say that convictions are more than just strong opinions or even than just beliefs that we may hold to be true. How many of you are Coke people in the room? How many of you are Coke people? How many of you are Pepsi people in the room? Dang. How many of you are Dr. Pepper people in the room? Oh man, you guys are completely off base. All right, so I have very strong opinions that Coke is superior to Pepsi. But I, let me hear it from the Coke people, that's right. But I am not going to fight you over that. Okay, I also have, you know, some pretty clear beliefs. Like I believe that two plus two equals four. The last I checked, that was the math, you know, but I am not going to die on a hill fighting with you over whether two plus two is four. But see, I think that what is messed up about American society, one of the many things that's messed up about American society right now is that people no longer know how to separate their opinions and their beliefs from their convictions. So everything is a battle. Every disagreement is worth dying for, or so people seem to think. See, we, we live in, in a society where almost any conversation is supercharged and has the potential to explode in our face. See, when all of our opinions and all of our beliefs become convictions, I question whether you actually have any true convictions at all. Because true convictions are strong beliefs about what actually ultimately matters to you. 
okay? True convictions are strong beliefs about what ultimately matters to you. And so our entire identity is bound up in our convictions. Your, your convictions really, they're about the kind of person you want to be. And so when a person has very clear convictions, then, then it, it grounds you in, in a certain way of viewing reality, a certain way of understanding the world around you. And so when someone challenges or opposes your convictions, if they are true convictions, then of course you're going to be ready to stand up and fight for those convictions. And why is that important to this conversation? Because God created you with purpose. And your purpose may actually come to light through the strong convictions that form out of your relationship with God. Okay? But that doesn't mean that it will come easy. And it doesn't mean that there won't be contrary, voice, contrary voices telling you not to rise up. So verse 28 says that when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. See, David's brothers just won't give him a break. They have told him so many times that he's a nobody, that he'll never amount to anything. David has been told so many times that, that he's too young, too small, too dumb, too clumsy, too you name it, to ever be able to accomplish anything of any significance much less to do something heroic. And you wonder if David is maybe starting to buy in to these messages that he keeps getting. And you wouldn't probably blame him if he did. And it's not just his family. So David walks away from his brother and he goes towards where King Saul has positioned himself and he makes his approach. Verse 32 Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. <laughs> There's no way that you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he has been a man of war since his youth. I mean, there it is again. Like, the condescension just keeps coming, and this time from another authority figure in his life. Let me ask you, what kind of of negative, doubt-producing messages have you been listening to? I wonder, because right when you start to rise up and actually answer God's call to, to do something important, to do something that might make a difference in this world in some way or in someone's life, don't be surprised if the people around you, including sometimes even those that are closest to you, try to squash your passion and try to redirect you back to the small life that they would rather you live. Voices like that, church, can cripple you. They can snuff out the light that God has placed inside of you. But not if you have the strength of conviction. 
See, when your convictions are strong enough, no contrary voices are loud enough to stop you. All right, come on, church. When your convictions are strong enough, no contrary voices are gonna be loud enough to stop you and squash you and push you back into a small life. Verse 34, look at it. Having been talked down to and dismissed by the king. Verse 34 says, but David, what? Persisted. He persisted. He didn't give up. He didn't give in. He didn't, you know, put his head down, tuck his tail between his legs and say, well, I tried. No, he persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. Well, that's great credentials, David. But when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have, this is so graphic. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord Yahweh, who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, will rescue me from this Philistine. See, convictions are a powerful motivator. Convictions are a powerful motivator in spite of everything that everybody says about David, in spite of, of the fact that nobody thinks that David will ever amount to anything, that he's capable of doing anything remarkable, much less heroic. David's convictions are driving him at this point. He's steaming. Like the, the veins in his forehead are bulging. I can just picture him. He is so angry over what he is seeing and, and what he is hearing because believers in the true God, soldiers no less, are cowering in shame while this pagan warrior is mocking and defying their God and they sit in fear and do nothing. And he is overcome with conviction that this just isn't right. I cannot let this go on. And David cannot not act. He cannot not act. See, God is looking for people like that. He's looking for people of conviction. He's, he's looking for people who will say, I will not just sit by and watch this gross injustice that's happening right in front of my face and do nothing about it. See, knowing God, when you have a relationship with God, who is just, it will give you a sense of justice about how people should be treated and how God should be treated. And, and when it's not happening, then sometimes it's going to jolt you into a place where you, know, you can't just sit by. And, and so this, you know, that's just the way it is kind of mentality that we so often walk around with is something that, that, that sometimes God's sense of justice will not allow you to maintain. I mean, there are always times that we have to put up with, with insults and we have to put up with some, some of the things that are, that are lesser in our lives, but there are times when we have to be able to stand up and speak. Do you, I don't know if you guys have studied World War II history much, but have you ever thought about the church in Germany during Nazi Germany time? Are you aware of the fact that the church in Germany, the, the, the majority of the church in Germany, the majority of the Christians in Germany sat by in silence and watched that happen? 
there's only a few, a very few, who had the guts and the conviction to stand up and say, this is not right. What we are doing to the Jews. Why? See, when something just isn't right and you have the strength of conviction, then a force kind of gets a hold of you. And that force that gets a hold of you may be God calling you to take some kind of action. Take some kind of heroic action for the good of others. Verse 37, Saul finally consented and said, all right, go ahead and may the Lord be with you. Which sounds really nice. It sounds so spiritual. Oh, may the Lord be with you, David. What he really means is, well, I'm sure not going with you. And from what I'm seeing of you, if God doesn't go with you, you're dead meat. But David is undeterred. And I I think David knows the danger. David's not stupid. I don't think he's just brash. It's just that unlike everyone else around him, he will not stand by and let this wrong go unrighted. And he believes that with God's help, he can do this. See, here's the thing, guys. Acting out of conviction, it reveals the account of reality that you believe. Acting out of conviction is going to show what you actually believe to be true. What do you believe about God? What do you really believe about God? What do you believe about him being with you? What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about your ability to make a difference in this world? See, David believes that the God who had won previous battles for him was the same God that was with him now and he was still available now just like he had been in the past. And that's why he has the confidence. He'd beaten down animals that were much stronger than him, much more powerful and and much more capable of taking his life than, than he probably would have liked to have thought. But he was able to overcome those animals by the strength that God provided. And he believed if God would deliver me from those animals, why wouldn't God protect his own honor and protect his own sense of justice by helping me defeat this pagan warrior who is defying him and his covenant people. See, conviction is an especially strong motivator when it is coupled with previous experience of having tried out your spiritual muscles a little bit, tried out your faith muscles a little bit, and actually taken on some battles and seeing God come through. Another way of putting it is this, the best way of building spiritual muscles to take on the big tests is to start with some small ones. Start with some small tests. See, David hears God's call to action through this moment because of his conviction, because of the strength of his conviction. And and his conviction is so strong, in fact, that it doesn't matter to him that what he is facing, who he is facing, is 10 times more intimidating than his older brothers, or even a bear or a lion, a giant of a man, who is a seasoned, battle-hardened warrior with a nasty temper and a taste for blood. And and upon seeing young David approach and, and just with a sling in his hand, Goliath is amused 
And he starts firing even more heart-shrinking messages at David. Verse 43, am I a dog? He roared at David. You come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. You stupid kid. Does your mama know where you are? I wonder if she did. You ever thought about that? Where is David's mom? Does she know what David is doing? That's another, that's another sermon. But, but when God is calling you to his purpose to take on a challenge, I can guarantee you this. Every one of those negative, condescending voices that you have heard before are going to be magnified. And they are going to reverberate in your head as those tapes play. And so if we're going to rise, if we're going to rise and answer God's call, if we're going to believe that the future is ours by God's help, then we're going to have to be able to see through the lies that we have heard that have been told us. Because let's face it, many of us have been conditioned to believe that we are nothing special. Many of us have been told time and time again that because of our failures, because of the fractures in our hearts, or our relationships, or whatever it may be, that those things have proven that we are anything but heroic. We're anything but remarkable. Our defeatist thoughts tell us that the world can't be changed, and we're all just a bunch of helpless pawns, just kind of observing life. And, and those lies are real, and they become so thick, and they, and they become so pervasive in our, in our minds and in our perspective that they make God's truth, the things that God has said, his promises, seem like a lie or fantasy at, at best. And if we're to rise and we're to live remarkable lives, then we're going to have to decide that God's voice is more trustworthy than those other voices. We're gonna have to decide to listen to God's truth instead of those lies. Because when those old recordings start playing in your head and telling you that you can't, that's when the strength of your conviction is going to be put to the test. You're going to have to Put your confidence in the God that you believe in. Verse 45, David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. Just, gosh, imagine having that kind of faith. Can you imagine that? I mean, just, what would that be like? When you face enemies in your life, when you face obstacles, when you face problems, when you face fears that seem huge and formidable and terrifying, and you're looking at this future, like, what in the world am I going to do? How am I going to move forward? And you're paralyzed with fear. What would it be like? to have so much faith in God that you could 
stare that thing or that person right in the face and say, you know what? God is going to give me victory over you. You know, you may feel like your faith is weak in comparison to David's. But you know what? Your faith can grow. You can can get stronger in your faith. That's the cool thing about faith. You're not stuck with the level of faith you have right now. Your faith can get larger and stronger. You know what? The songs that we sing when we come together and we worship God, those songs are filled with faith and with trust. And, And... You know, sometimes you might even feel less than honest singing some of those lyrics, you know, because you may be sitting there singing those lyrics thinking, man, I I wish that I I, I believed that, but I'm not sure if I fully do or I'm not sure if I have that that much faith like this, this song is communicating and you may feel like you're being somewhat dishonest in singing it. But listen, I don't think that's being dishonest at all because I think to a, to a degree, the the faith and the values that we sing to God and that we sing to one another are, are sometimes aspirational, right? We may not be fully there yet, but we want to be there. And we want to encourage other people to stretch their faith and get to that level of belief. And, and so there is a sense in which we speak our faith into reality. We speak our faith into reality. And the more that we say it and the more that we sing it, the more we believe it and the more we act on it. And that's one of the reasons why worship is so important. Not only glorifies God, but it builds faith, builds trust. And you know what? You know what David had done a whole lot of? Worship. David had spent a lot of time worshiping God out there alone in those fields with the sheep. That's where he wrote most of his Psalms that you read in your Old Testament. So many Psalms of praise to God that he saw out in the glory of nature. God had grown large to David. In his mind, God was a big God. And his faith now gives him the audacity of conviction to face a giant. And he runs, not away, but towards Goliath. Slings, spinning in his hand, flings a stone right into the forehead of that giant, and he falls down dead. Sometimes God calls the person who simply must act. The person who simply must act. Say, last Monday, we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I think Dr. King is clearly an example of someone who, who was called by God to the greater purpose of his life through the strength of his convictions. Because he had experienced and he had seen all around him the, the mistreatment, the unjust treatment of black people in American society around him. And he had to act. He had to do something. He couldn't just sit by and watch it anymore. And I believe that was God's call on his life and others like him. And maybe there is an injustice that is consuming you. 
And everybody knows that this is an important issue in your life because whenever you get in a conversation, it, you know, at some point within you know, a few minutes, you're gonna be talking about that issue. <laughs> and you're gonna be talking about it with passion, probably. And if the person you're talking to doesn't seem like it's particularly, you know, all that important to them, if, if they seem like it's maybe not quite, they're not quite as passionate as you are about them, you may actually feel a little indignant. And you may wonder in your mind, you know, how could they not care about this more than they do? How, how could they just not do anything about this? See, that conviction that you're feeling may be God calling you to your purpose, calling you to action. See, often the individuals who rise up and who live heroic lives aren't stronger, smarter, more talented, or better equipped than other people. They simply care more. They simply care more. And if that's you, then the strength of your conviction will push through. It will help you to overcome those lies that you've been told that people are telling you about your inability to make a difference. And, and they will help you push through any other obstacle that you face, no matter how big it is, no matter how formidable it might be. And things will be different because you rise to answer God's call. See, the strength of conviction and a real faith linked together change the way that you see the world. It, it widens the boundaries of what you believe you can accomplish. And, and it opens up new possibilities of what positive changes you might be able to help bring about that you never would have dreamed possible. So the next step that we can take from this passage of scripture that we've looked at today is to ask yourself, what just isn't right? And what might God want me to do about it? What just isn't right? And what might God want me to do about it? He used David to show us what he can do through one person who has the strength of conviction and a battle-tested faith. And he can use you. And one of the ways that you can develop those strong convictions that might actually inform the purpose of your life is to get to know God better. And so it's, it's worshiping him. It's giving yourself to worship him. It's, it's taking that time to absorb, to believe the truth of God and the things he has spoken and the things he has promised and to start acting on those things, that is going to build in you a foundation of convictions about who he is and who you are that may lead you to discover and live out the purpose of your life. 